Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the second kings and for the, the lessons and the truths and the wisdom that you are giving us through it. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we finally get to 2 Kings 18, where we find a good king. A good king, finally. Finally. Finally, we get a real good king. I mean, and, and he's a really good king. He was, uh, <clears throat> his name is Hezekiah. Hezekiah becomes the, he's the son of Ahaz. Um, he began to reign when he was 25 years old. And the Bible says, or in 2 Kings says, in verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places. This is the first one who did that. First one who finally removed the high places, smashed the staked stones, cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. Uh, it's, it was called Nehushtan. So, finally, someone who did not only stopping the Asher poles and the bales and the so on and so forth, but he, he took care of the high places, broke down the stones, desecrated them, and said the only place you can worship is in Jerusalem, which is what God had told them to do. That was the original, the original intent. Verse 5. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, <clears throat> the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord, commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So finally, finally we have a king who does, does what is right in the sight of the Lord, does everything he's supposed to, does every, I mean, to the nth degree. But what I want to look at tonight is what happens next. It's interesting because the pattern has been if uh, if they do good things, then good things happen. If the king is good, then good things happen. If the king is bad, bad things happen. But all of a sudden we get to Hezekiah, who is the best. He's doing everything right. He does everything to the to the highest degree. And then we get to verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. So, if he did what was right, why did this thing happen to him? I don't know. Test. Everything's a test. <laughs> With us, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well. I mean, 
you know, we, th we think he was a good king. Do we really know that he was a, you know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody's got little things that they do wrong, they're good, but they, so maybe God is putting them through, a, you know, lesson type thing. He's, you know, I would imagine he has stuff that he needs to learn and he's, and he's dealing with life. And I was just talking about that with somebody, somebody recently, and they said that they that God had led them to do something, and so they did it. And as soon as they started to obey God, life got harder. And it was like, so why would that happen? If if you're obeying God, if you're doing what He said to do, if He's if you're if you're cooperating with Him, why would things get harder? Well. All kinds of reasons why that could happen. You know, one of them could be Satan just doesn't like it and starts to attack even more. Um, uh, it could be that just stuff happens. We live in a world where stuff happens, good stuff and bad stuff. You know, Jesus. Well, it, it, like people say that, oh, if you're, you know, some people think if you're a Christian and go, all good things happen, but that's not true. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. bad things happen to good people. Right. That are, you know, so. Um. The difference is, is when, and what we'll find out in, in Hezekiah's life, is that even though, and he went through a number of hard things. He went through a number of hard things as a country, but also individually. And so, but even though he went through those hard things, God took care of him. And God was there in the midst of it, even when it got very hairy, very, very out of control. So things do happen. Life happens. Plus, we have an enemy. And that enemy does not want the blessings of God in your life. And so if he sees that, that you start to be obedient to God, he's going to come against that, trying to discourage us. He tries to, he tries to wear us down so that when... Um, you know, we 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 see a glimmer of hope. We see a, we see a turn for the better, and then all of a sudden, boom! We get blindsided again, and and he and he's trying to cause us to go. Well, maybe it was maybe that was just an anomaly. Maybe maybe God can't take care of me. Well, you know, like I thought he would, but Hezekiah doesn't do that. Hezekiah keeps seeking the Lord, um, keeps focusing on Him, and. So on and so forth. So, Sennacherib attacks, and then he sends um, a uh, an ambassador. So this, this is an, a good example of an ambassador. Um, so the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a, for, with a large army. They came to Jerusalem, stopped at the aqueduct of the pool, upper pool, on the road to the washerman's field, they called for the king, and the king's men went out to greet to meet him. And the field commander said, This is what the great king, the king of Assyria, says, On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have the counsel and the might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending? That you rebel against me. And so the that is the that's an example of the of an ambassador being sent by the king to talk about the uh, to talk about the terms for surrender or the terms of war, 
And so he's doing that as if they're the words of Sennacherib himself. So, in the term, so that he, he outlines the problem. He says that you, you know, why have you, are you not paying me anymore, this and that. Verse 23, he lays out the terms of uh, compromise. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. Um, and, and starts talking about um, this is what's going to happen if we go to war. You're not going to be able to stand up against us. Then Hezekiah's uh, representatives say to the field commander in verse 26, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. And so they're saying, you know, the, the commanders know Aramaic, the people don't. All they know is Hebrew. And they're saying, don't talk to us in Hebrew. The reason being is they don't want the people on the wall to hear how bad it is. It's bad. It's out of control. And so they're saying, please don't do that. And the commander replies, was it only to your master and you that my master has sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall? who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine. So he's trying to put fear into them. If you don't succumb to, to our wishes, you, we're going we're gonna to siege, which means they're going to surround them. They're going to lay siege to, the, to the, 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 the fortified city. And what they basically do is starve them out. They, just, they don't have to fight. They just get to the point where the people can't, can't eat. They're not eating. They're not drinking. And so they'll, they starve them out and they just surrender. So he's putting fear into them. Do they have the might to defeat them? The Assyrians? Yes. Yeah, they absolutely do. Yeah, they absolutely do. You know, he's, he's not blowing smoke here. You know, he's not bluffing. Yes, they, they very much have the ability to, to defeat the... Uh, the tribe of Judah, the tri- you know, to defeat the king, to de- defeat the tri- tribe of Judah. And so the accusations that they're making are valid. Put this into our own lives today. This is how, this is how uh, the world system, this is how Satan, this is how the, the, uh, the adversary comes against us. Well, you know, I don't know why you're putting your trust in God because... You know, whatever it may be. The fiscal cliff is looming. Exactly, the fiscal cliff is looming, and you're not going to be able to stay. You know, you're you're going to you know you're not going to have the finances needed to to finish and and to, to be able to, to survive and so on and so forth. Why would you trust in God? You know, same sort of deal. You know, and and you you read the news, you listen to the news, and it's scary stuff. I mean, they. They don't paint a rosy picture at all. They, because fear sells. You know, fear, fear, and and, uh, and and you know, uh, intimidation and everything else is what sells up there today. Um, same thing with uh, a little bit different. I was uh, we have Netflix, and I was you know every once in a while I'll go on. There's a, a website where it's called Instant Watcher, so. You see what is what are the new shows that they just put on 
Netflix because we've watched we've had it for a couple of years now and we've watched everything that we were interested in watching and so the kids watch a bunch of stuff but you know for me to watch a movie it has to be a good movie I'm not going to waste my time and so I'll watch the instant watcher to see if anything that I really am interested in comes in well as I'm looking through that it is absolutely amazing the percentage of horror movies that are being made and are out there and then you know and I can see it just on the instant watcher for every decent movie there's 10 to 15 horror movies that are being made it's like okay what is the deal but fear sells fear you know people want to be want to be scared apparently I mean I don't I, I don't I hate I hate those kind of movies. I never have liked the uh, vampire thing too. Oh well, yeah, a vampire this and and you know now it's zombies too. You know zombie that and this. But it's just interesting. This sort of you know with the news and everything else, it is it's fear and intimidation is what sells. And so. But it's even the TV TV itself. Oh, absolutely. TV programs, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yep, and news. So I mean, you watch the news, and how often do you get an actually a good news article, you know, a news report? You don't. No. It's all about how bad it is in the Middle East, how bad, how bad it is here, how bad you know the North Koreans are firing rockets that can reach America, and no. yada yada yada. Is that one commercial I'm saying with the couple that runs into the drugstore getting the condoms? Mm-hmm. And they've seen condoms, and that's on during regular, you know, viewing hours. Mm-hmm. It's just horrible. Primetime television. Yeah. So it's it's, you know, the field commander here that's that's talking to the the people in Jerusalem is purposefully trying to throw them into fear, purposely trying to scare them into just giving up. Why even try? Why try to fight? So, then the commander stood, and and verse 28, the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. He gets right down to the to the bare. Here's what really is what he's talking about here. Yes. What chapter are we on? We are on chapter 18, I believe. Yeah. 18. Thank you. The it isn't about horses and chariots. It's not about uh, might. It's not about how much food is stocked up. It's not about whether we can do this or you can do that. It, he brings it right down to the base level here. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. And that's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy is trying, it, it does everything he, he can do to keep us from trusting in the Lord. Um, when I, I watch, uh, we, there's a couple of shows that we watch as a family, and we watch them on Hulu. That way we can watch them when we want to. We don't have to, you know, we're not, we're not uh, on a schedule. And so we sit down and we watch, but every commercial is about, you know, you, 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 know, you have this, uh, uh, this ailment, so you have to take this drug, but that drug leads to dry mouth and bulging of the eyes and your ears falling off and, you know, I mean, blah, 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 blah. 
And it's just, we, we, I turn those things off because it's just fear, 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 ailment, sickness, you know, because they, they want to sell drugs. And so it's just, you know, and, and uh, depression. There's one that's, you know, it's, it's about, it's a depression medication over, you know, but it can also cause death and, you know, internal bleeding and, you know, <laughs> thoughts of suicide. And you know, it's like, it's like, gracious, good night. Talk, I mean, you I get depressed watching the commercial, you know, and you and it starts. It's like a hypochondriac. Yeah, mute. You do. I do. I, I do. Mute it, and then yeah, that's what I do. Exactly, and so, uh, um, but the whole thing is, don't trust in the Lord. Trust in the medicine. Trust in the financial this or the you know uh, our company that that can save you money doing that. Or it, it, trust in the stock market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's that same argument. The, the argument hasn't changed. You know, and I've said this many tam- times on Sunday morning. It's the same argument that the snake used. You know, don't trust God. Don't tr- trust me. He, God's trying to keep something from you. Trust me. And, and, and that's what, exactly what Adam and Eve did. They put their trust in what, what the snake was saying, what, what Satan was saying, and... Um, did not trust in the Lord. And so now we, we, we fast forward probably about 4,000 years here from, from Hezekiah's day to now. It's the same exact situation. Don't trust in the Lord. That's, that's, the, that's the, uh, the, the mantra out there. Don't trust in the Lord. Trust in this. Put your trust in, in, in Medicare. Put your trust in the government. Put your trust in this. Put, you know, don't trust God. When in reality, that's exactly that's where our that's where our only hope comes from. Everything else is a lie. The Lord, uh, do not put your verse thirty. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, "The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria." So Hezekiah is saying, "Trust God." I don't know how this is going to work. It's bad. It's out of control. We we don't have any ability in and of ourselves to deal with this. But I'm telling you, we can trust God. We can trust the Lord. But the the uh, commander is saying, don't do it. Wouldn't it be great if we had a president like that? <laughs> I mean, I know I'm a dreamer, but I just think it just would really be born again on fire for the Lord and just you know, guide us, in, mm-hmm. you know, with, and mm-hmm. just be strong in the Lord. I, I think, I, I, just, I think that is long have gone. Have we ever had a, a president like that? I don't think Abraham Lincoln. I think, I think, I think Lincoln was definitely that way. Washington was that way. Yeah. You know, the things that they said and wrote and, and, you know, they, they definitely believed that God was their mm-hmm. source and our protector and, you know, did you see but that movie yet? I haven't. I, I yeah, heard it's exactly. really good. Yeah, I heard some reviews where they were saying that they were actually very, very uh, surprised that Spielberg kept the references of God, you know yes. to God in the exactly. in the movie, and they said yeah, and he didn't he didn't make it sound. Yeah, you know, he could have, but he didn't. He yeah. did. Yeah, he, he he made it sound like you know Lincoln was a very sound-minded right. individual who had deep convictions and and was not afraid to to live it. Yeah. So right. yeah, that's that's pretty neat. So you know, and I got into a conversation today with some with some folks, and 
and that along that same line because they're saying, okay, the, the, the world situation that we're in right now, according to prophecy, it keeps getting worse. You know, or, you know, why can't we have a, a president who's going to, you know, lead, lead by morality, you know, lead by, by conviction? Because we probably just aren't. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we will ever see that again because of the just because of where our society is our society won't vote in somebody who's morally upright um, I think we've I think we've reached that tipping point I don't know I don't know what would change that I mean a, a revival you know at that point I mean it would have to take a, a, a national revival um, where hundreds of thousands of people get saved and start thinking differently you know and praise God I can you know hey I'll pray for that I'll, I'll believe for that but we live in, you know, the, the, the biblical prophecy says things are going to continue to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. They're not going to get better and better, yeah. you know. And so at that point, you know, what do we do as, as Christians? Well, what we do is we have to trust God. We have to believe that God maybe isn't going to turn the whole situation around and, and bring us back to an age of, of God-fearing uh, majority of of Americans living for God, we probably won't be there. That's just not not going to happen. But he can take care of us as individuals, and he can take care of us as families and as churches. churches. You know that that we can and, and this this passage, these passages that we're going to go through tonight, it talks about the remnant being saved not everybody is saved not everybody is is protected not everybody is delivered but the remnant who trusts God is carried through and that's later on we'll get to that in just a little bit so same same thing we're up against today verse 31 do not listen to Hezekiah this is what the king of Assyria says make peace with me and come out to me then each one of you, each of you will eat fruit from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own. <clears throat> He's trying to sell them on the deal. He's trying to sell them on this. Oh, don't listen to Hezekiah. Listen to me. Because if you listen to the king of Assyria, he'll give you peace. He'll, he'll let you have your own fruit until we take you away to somewhere else. Until we lead you away in bondage. But he doesn't say it that way. That's not how he's selling it. And that's the same way that the world sells the situation today. You know, oh, follow after us and we'll make sure you have food on the table and and we'll make sure you have a cell phone and we'll make sure you have this. And and but you know, just just trust us and we'll take care of you. But the truth is. We're being anybody who believes that and 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 buys into that is going to be taken into bondage. There is no free lunch. I don't care what anybody says. You know, it's that that uh, that old saying is true. There is no such thing as a free lunch. We you know if if you if someone gives you something sooner or later, there is a there is an expectation. It just is, and so. Um, the same thing here. You know, oh, I'll tell you what. And, he, and he's, what is he promising him? 
He's, he's promising them with something they already have. You know, it really isn't a promise. It isn't a, it, it isn't a better deal. It's a, it is a, uh, uh, it's a very shallow offering. Um, you know, you can eat your own fruit from your own vine and fig tree and, and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like, like your own. He, he didn't say a land not your own or a land of bondage, but it's like yours. Oh, you'll like it. A land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Sounds like, a, sounds like an ad agency. You know, it sounds like a commercial. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. So, he goes on and on, talks, and then he gets into talking about all the other nations that, that the king of Assyria had overrun and had uh, destroyed. And he starts mocking those countries. He says, where were their gods? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Zepharavim, Hena and Iva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who are all the gods of these countries? Has who, who of all of the gods of these countries has been able to save this land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? And so he's making a good argument. Had he, just, had he destroyed these other countries? Absolutely. It wasn't that he's lying. He's, he is, uh, he's telling the truth, but he is, it's, it's, a, uh, uh, it's all to discourage them and they have them turn away from God. Love, verse 36. Uh, got rain here coming. Yes, that's one of Santa's helpers. He's, <laughs> he's bringing us pie. Verse 36. But the Lord, re- or I'm sorry, the Lord. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. That's a great lesson. When, when Satan is accusing, when Satan is trying to belittle us and, and to, to, to drive us off of serving God, listening to God, Sometimes it's better just not to say a word. It's not, it's just ignore him. Because it's like a salesman. You know, have you ever worked with a salesman and, and they, they keep asking you yes questions that, you, that, are, that are absolutely yes questions. So he's, and he's doing that here, isn't he? You know, did, did we not destroy this country? Well, yes, you did. Did we not destroy that country? Well, yes, you did. Are we going to destroy you? Well, that the, remains to be seen. <laughs> exactly, and that's the that is the uh, the sales approach. Is you, you you say yes enough times when we ask you the selling question, you know, are you going to buy from me? Well, oh yes, you know, you, you get into that pattern, and so um, that that pattern isn't anything new. That's four thousand years old, right there. We, we see we see record of it, but the king had commanded them, do not answer him when he speaks. So, the palace administrator, the, the recorder, and the, uh, the secretary go back to Hezekiah. They tear their clothes. 
tearing their clothes is a sign of mourning, of anguish. And um, they go back and report what the field commander had said. My question to you, how impossible is this situation? It looks entirely impossible for, for Judah. Yes. I mean, Assyria has probably got a hundred times more warriors than they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Hezekiah, is, he's, he's been a, up until now, you know, he, he came in and he changed their whole way of life. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's probably still some underground rebellion going on. Sure, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and it's, it does not look good. Everything that the, that the commander had said was true. They were, they were just going right across the land, defeating everybody, probably people that were more, uh, more powerful than even the Judas, Judah, Judahites, Judahites. And it's bad. I mean, this guy can do what he says he's going to do. And he can, he can cause this to, to get really bad really quick. And so at that point, what do you do? You know, it's like, it's like the doctor coming in and saying, uh, here's the situation. You know, I just ran all the tests. And the tests say, you're not going to make it. Or you're going to suffer this way or that way. Or you're, you're going to lose this or not, you know, whatever it might be. And we have an opportunity to believe that or what God says. And, and for, for Hezekiah to say, God's going to deliver us from this, was, you know, to us, we, can, we, we know how the story ends, and we know that our God is amazing, and we know that, that God does do stuff miraculously. But back there, when you're looking out your, your bedroom window and you see, you're seeing a vast army surrounding you who, are, who have the full intent of either hauling you away as a slave or killing you you have opportunity to fear I mean it's it is it is a bad situation and the king is going no God's going to deliver us but how that doesn't make any sense how how can he deliver us how can he turn this around I mean it's easy to you know in, when putting ourselves in that situation, it's easy to see the the uh, uh, the anguish of the people. I have to think though that maybe be, you know where did I was thinking on this? Where did Hezekiah get this assurance that God was going to take mm-hmm. care of, of the people of Judah? And then I got to thinking, well, he probably had read the writings of Moses. Right. had been read to him enough times that it, mm-hmm. it got implanted. Yes. You know, and he just decided, this we are Israel, we are Judah, we are the promise of mm-hmm. God, and he held on to that. Yes, yes. And it shows the power of one person saying, you know what, no, God's going to do this. And, and, and especially as a leader. You know, where the leader, the leader says, no... You know, God is going to is going to preserve us through this. So, Hezekiah 
hears the report, and he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, and goes into the temple of the Lord. And Isaiah, son of Amos, um, is with them. He's with all of the officials and so on and so forth. They tell him what Hezekiah says, that this is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the moment of birth and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. And so Isaiah is saying that, you know what? Just maybe, just maybe God will come to our, to our aid. If we seek him, if we, we humble ourselves before him, he can still turn this thing around. So when Hezekiah came, officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah tells him, tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you have heard. These words with those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And then he goes on to say, listen, he, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with a sword. So God says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about what you've heard. Don't worry about the, the words that were spoken against you. I'm going to take care of this, and I'm going to deliver you out of it. And you're not even going to have to fight. Here's one of those, for instances, when... The Israelites didn't even have to do go to battle. They didn't have to be strong. They didn't have to outnumber. They didn't have to have all the tools of war. God fought for them and won the battle for them. So he tells Isaiah to... Um, oh, no, so then uh, Isaiah prophesies that to him. So then Sennacherib receives the report of what was said or actually not said. Nobody re, nobody responded to his threats. And he said, uh, Say to Hezekiah the king, verse 10 of chapter 19, uh, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be given into the hands of the king of Assyria. So he goes right to the heart again. You know, he knows where the fight is. The fight is, are you going to believe God or aren't you? It's the same place we have a fight today. Are you going to believe God or aren't you? Is God who he says he is or isn't he? Is God faithful? Is God able? You know, uh, it's one thing to say that God exists, but is he able to deliver us from whatever it is? Verse 11, Surely you have heard that what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. And will you be delivered? Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them, the gods of Gozan and Haran and Rezpah, the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar? Where, where is the king of Hamath or the king of Arpad? Where are the kings of Lair, Zarephim, Hena, and Iva? So, he's basically saying, I have proof. I have documented proof that we're going we're gonna to destroy you, that we're going to take you over. 
So who are you going to believe? And then I wrote down in my notes, whose report will you believe? You know, the the uh, all the experts come out and say, you know, financially, you're not going to make it. If you keep doing this, if you, if you keep trusting God and, and, and doing what he says, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive. Um, I've had people tell me. I've had I've had unbelievers tell me, and I've had believers tell me. You keep giving money. Why do you give your money away? Why do you give? You know that you're you're going to go bankrupt. You're going to go broke. You know there's better ways to do this. Oh, don't don't give your money to the to God. Don't do this. And and I've and, and it's like wait a second. Well, but yeah, but if you give away ten percent. If you give away X percent, whatever it is, if you give that away, you know, you're just giving away your seed. You know, you're, you're, you know, they, and they give you these, and it's all logical stuff. I mean, yeah, if I looked at paper and we had all these, this and that and so on and so forth, you know, um, and then you have to make, you have to make a choice. Do you believe God or do you believe that? Do you believe the, the facts? You know, it almost comes down to that. Do you believe the facts? The, the logical, uh, thought-through, proven facts, or do you believe what God says? And God says, do this. Go in this direction. So, Hezekiah received the letter, verse 14, and he read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. I love this line, too. In verse 14 of uh, 19, it says, He went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out in front of the Lord spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all of the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. So he's basically saying, okay, God, here's the facts that they've given me. Here's the here's what the experts are saying. Here's what um, you know uh, traditional wisdom says about this situation. But God, you're God, and I know that you can do anything. If you say you can do it, you can do it. He's he's putting his his full trust in the living God. <clears throat> Verse seventeen. Is it true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands? It is true, Lord. I'm sorry. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. The report was true. He said, Lord, see, this did happen. These things have been happening. But they, they happened to a, to, a, to a people who were believing in wood and stone. They were believing in man-made things. They were believing in, in, in uh, their own wisdom, their own ability. But God, you're Lord. You are real. And I'm, and I'm going to trust that you can do this. And Lord, it's in your hands. Here you go. So then Isaiah 
prophesies Sennacherib's fall. So this long prophecy, you can read that at your own leisure, goes on and on and on, talks about the greatness of God. Basically, uh, two-thirds of it is just talking about the greatness of God, the might of God, the power of God, so on and so forth. And then it gets down to, basically, this is what's going to happen. Um, Verse 29 says, This year you will eat what grows by itself, the second year what springs from that, but in the third year sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. That's what we have working for us. That's what, that, that is the power behind our, our belief system, is that God is real. And that he, he is looking for people who will believe it. He's just looking for somebody who will trust him and say, you know what, the odds are completely stacked against me. There's no way we're going to survive this according to, to natural understanding. There's no way we can win. There's no way that we can survive this. But you know what, God? You're God. And we're going to trust you. We're going to believe you. And when we do that, right here it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's because he gets excited. He gets excited when he sees somebody go, I'm going to believe you. Against all odds, I'm going to believe that you can do what you say you can do. And when he, when we do that, that same zeal moves on our behalf. It's awesome. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, verse 32, concerning the king of Assyria, he will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way, that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it. For my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. So, on one side, here's here's Hezekiah at the altar. And right out there is the army, huge army, encircling the city, ready to attack. At the next morning, a a couple days from now, whenever it was going to be, there is the eminent... For you know, he can look out the window, and there it is. It's sitting right there. It's it's about to happen, and they have all the ability to make it happen. And yet he says, "You know what, God? I'm going to believe you." And God goes, "All right, nothing's going to happen. Not one arrow is going to be shot. Not one siege ramp is going to be built. And the way that they came, they're going to leave. They're going to leave of their own desire, their own choice. Are you going to believe me? And Because of the word of the Lord, uh, Hezekiah believed him. Verse 35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. So, Here's this great army that had, had victory after victory after victory, proof after proof after proof that they could do whatever they wanted to do. 
They came and they threatened Judah. The king of Judah said, you know, God, we're going to put our trust in you. And the people believed. I, I like what you said that, you know, somebody said that, that they had, um, you know, he had just changed their way of life. You know, there was a bunch of them who had not seen that kind of stuff before. Because they were off, you know, for generations they had been, you know, sacrificing to idols and so on and so forth. But because King Hezekiah says, we're going to follow God, they had to change their tune. They, whether they did in their heart or not, that's, you know, we don't know that. But God moves on his behalf. Because one man said, no, I'm going to believe God. We are going to trust God and we're going to go, we're going to go in the direction that he leads us. And he does it. It happens. The impossible. Not, a, not an arrow was shot. Not a battle was fought. Nothing happened except God moved on their behalf and 185,000 soldiers died that night. Miracle. Miracle of miracles. Just like, just like King David. Mm-hmm. All the miracles he had. Be the same when Israel's attacked again, too. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the enemies of the North attacking Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing came through. Mm-hmm. So. It, and I and I haven't looked into it. And maybe I talk, maybe we talked about it last week. I don't know, but I was talking about it recently with somebody. There's a verse that says that the arrows will be shot shot from the north, and that they will fall short. Yeah. Yeah, not one, um, not one person in Israel gets hurt. Right. All the armies and everything of the north just fall and they all die. Mm-hmm. It's in maybe Ezekiel. Yeah, I, and I haven't looked it up, but it's just one of those things from from way back in the late great planet Earth. You know, it still uh, still it hits a uh, synapse every once in a while. See if I can find it. But God still does that kind of stuff. He'll do it for us. That's the exciting part is he's not done doing that. He's not, that isn't just like, oh, wow, wasn't God cool back then? You know, wasn't that amazing? No, he wants to act on our behalf today. Impossible stuff. Stuff that we face and, and we think, you know, there is no way this is going to happen. There is no way that 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 in the natural, because everything's stacked against it, but no matter what it is, uh, Whatever it is, everybody has their own their own Sennacherib that they're facing. You know, whether it's a work or whether it's health or whether it's money or whether it's mother-in-laws or father-in-laws or children-in-laws or whatever. You know, whatever it is, there is some uh, something in your life that is pushing back, and it seems impossible. And what do I do? I was just talking to a guy. Um, before class tonight, he called me up. He wants to start a business. This is a friend of mine from over in northern Minneapolis. And he and, and I met him through a series of events, and, and he goes, I really feel like God wants me to start this business. And I said, man, then go for it. God will do it. Yeah, but I'm really nervous. I've, I've never done anything like this before. And I said, well, I understand that. But I, he, And I said, but he goes, but God's leading me to do it. And so... I'm really wrestling right now. <laughs> it's just like, so there's that real life situation. You know, here's something he's never done before. Here's something that, that you know, everything is telling him not to do it. I mean, the economy. Is this the time, you know, is this the time in history to start starting a business? Well, it is if God tells you to. 
You know, it is if God leads you to do it. Yes, exactly. But he, he needed that encouragement that, yes, I need to step out and I need to, to move forward with this. So God is still very much into the remnant saving business. So, 185,000 troops die. Sennacherib believes, verse 37, one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adamarach and Sherarizer kill him with a sword and they escape to the land of Ararat. And Irshadon, his son, succeeds him as king. God wins. And Hezekiah is still alive. Jerusalem still stands. Uh, the people of Judah are still uh, living where they're supposed to be, reaping the harvest that God promised that they would reap. So, God moves miraculously. God moves amazingly. And, so, and, and uh, Hezekiah sees it with his own eyes because he trusts in God. So God, you know, Hezekiah throws all of his trust behind God, sees a, a, a mighty miracle happen, and then we get to chapter 20, where chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. So here's this guy who believes God, has a mighty miracle in Israel, and then gets sick. It's like, What's the deal? Is that his reward? Or is, you know, obviously it's not. I mean, it's not his reward for, for, for trusting God. But it's real life. Stuff happens. And we don't want stuff to happen. I mean, I would, I would much prefer to live some kind of a charmed life where nothing bad ever happens. But at that same point, then God isn't glorified by that. I mean, it isn't that he's glorified in, their, in the... In the Sickness or the battle or whatever, he's he's glorified in the victory, the ultimate victory of, of whatever is going to happen. So Hezekiah becomes ill, chapter twenty, verse one. And Isaiah goes to give him the good news. This is what the Lord says: Put your house in order because you're going to die, and you will not recover. Hezekiah, verse two, turns his face to the wall and prays. Remember, Lord. How I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and, will, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. Why did God heal Hezekiah? Why did God heal Hezekiah? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm 
thinking he had more things for Hezekiah to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Did he die right away? Yeah, he died 15 years later. Yeah, yeah. So he. But so he didn't die right away. Yeah. And so Hezekiah prays and says, "God, look at all the stuff I did for you. You know, look at all these things that I've done. Look at it. Look at how I've lived for you." He's questioning. Mm-hmm. And he says, so he says, um, remember how I have walked faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So what part about that moved God? He saw his tears. Humility. Yeah. He likes humility. It was, it was the humility. It was the saying, God, you know, here's the deal. It, it wasn't that he strong-armed God. Look what I've done for you, God. Look how I've walked for you. You know, you know it says that he heard his prayers, but he saw the tears. He got, he, that, was, that was a sign of humility. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Hezekiah being defiant, going, you know, God, you owe me. You, you owe me 15 more years, or you owe me another minute, or whatever. Because God doesn't owe us anything. Is this the same situation with Job too? Yeah. Job, kind of. Probably. No. Yep. Yeah. You know, and when we see that in the New Testament, it says, "He says, you know, the the humble are lifted up, the proud are taken down. They're 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 knocked down. God can't stand pride. He can, you know, it's that God does not allow pride to." To prosper, well, he gives great. He does this, but gives gives grace, gives to, grace the to the humble. Uh, where is How's that? that it's going? in. Uh, it is in First Peter five. He does something to the proud, and give, but gives grace to the humble. I can't remember. I think it's First Peter five. God Let me gives. see if I can find it. Verse 5. Young men, that's 1 Peter 5, 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. opposes the proud. There you go. Verse 6. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So, God loves humility. He loves when people don't think of themselves as as more than they should be. And Hezekiah is definitely doing that. Hezekiah is going, you know what, God? Here's the deal. I've walked with you. I've done all these things, but I need you. And he, you know, and he wept bitterly. And Isaiah says or is, is leaving the middle court, or before he left the middle court, the Lord came back to him and said, Go back and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father says, I have heard your prayer, seen your tears, I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant, David. And Hezekiah revives. He revives. He does everything that the Lord says he will do. There is a sign 
where in verse 9 it says, This is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or shall it go back ten steps? What that means is the shadow, as it moves, they could tell time by the number of steps that the, that the shadows move. And he says, do you want it to go forward 10 steps? I don't know if that's 10 minutes, 10 hours. I don't know what, somebody have a, a note in their Bible what that's uh, talking about or have some understanding of that. But basically he's saying it's easy for the sun to move forward. It's, 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 it's harder, you know, obviously harder um, for it to go back 10. Rather have it go back 10. So ha- basically have time go backwards. And so God does it. Um, God, the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps that had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. So, I don't know if, how much time that actually means elapses. But, needless to say, God made time go backwards. He made the sun go backwards anyway. Time, I guess, doesn't ever go backwards. As far as we know. Right, I guess we wouldn't the know. Yeah, or, or yeah, or the rotation of the Earth went backwards. Yeah, yeah it just slowed it down. Yep, yep. So, <clears throat> all right. Then Hezekiah gets some some uh, visitors from Babylon. He shows them everything that he owns. Shows them all of the the riches, all of the gold, all the silver, all the stuff. And Isaiah comes and says, "Hey, Hezekiah, who were those guys?" And he said, "They're from Babylon." He says, what did they see? And he said, they saw everything. He's, and, and, and Isaiah prophesies and says that a day will come and your predecessors will deal, have to deal with this, that they'll be carried off to Babylon. He's basically talking about the Babylonian exile. They're being, going to be carried off into Babylon. Everything's going to be t- taken from you, but it won't happen during your lifetime. And this is one of those lines in the Bible. I just go, you know, I get it now. You know, the older I get, but it's uh, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? You know, it's, it's almost like he doesn't really care about the grandkids. Uh, as long as there's peace and security in my lifetime. And I guess the older I, I used to really get bothered by that line because I'm like, you know, talk about selfish. But I kind of get it now. You know, as long as... <laughs> I don't care what you do to my kids, God, but uh, as long as I have peace and security. No, I actually don't pray that. So then Hezekiah dies, and Manasseh, his son, succeeds him as king. And we're back into the pattern. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He rebuilt all the detestable back practices in the nation's he rebuilt the high places. He also erected altars to Baal and Asher poles and blah, blah, blah. So in one generation, that which God had restored was right back to bankrupt. So why did he reign for about 55 years? Interesting, isn't it? You know, why did God allow him then to reign for all that time? Um, I don't know. We, you know, Sometimes God lets things go bad because He wants things to go bad. You know, why? Why do some rulers get into 
become rulers. And the Bible says that God, you know, the heart of the king is in the is in the Lord's hand, and He raises up some and deposes others. Why does He allow certain what you know bad bad rulers have reign? Well. It's his will. I, you know, that I don't know. It's going to be really interesting. I'm looking forward to, uh, in the proper time, eternity, heaven, where we get to watch all of these uh, reels with commentary, you know, with the director's commentary. And so we can understand why, God, why did you do that? You know, why did you allow that to happen? Why did you allow this to happen? You know, how does this all work together? It's going to be interesting because there is. There is purpose in all of it. All right. So, Manasseh, bad guy. Amnon. So Manasseh dies. Amnon, his son, takes over. Um, he reigns for two years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And... Verse 24 is the last one I want to look at tonight. Then the people of the land killed all who had plotted against King Amnon, and King Amnon's son becomes king, and his name is... Josiah. Josiah. Remember Josiah? Remember the prophecy about Josiah? All the way back in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 13. 1 Kings 13, 13. It was the story about that, the, the um, prophet, the young prophet who came to Jerusalem and prophesied against the altar. And he wasn't supposed to eat with anybody, talk to anybody. And then he, the old prophet came back and, and uh, said, oh, you know, but the Lord told me, I'm a prophet too. And the Lord told me that you know, I'm supposed to have, you're supposed to have supper with me. The young prophet went and then ended up getting eaten by the by the lion. Actually, he didn't get eaten. He was killed. He was killed by the lion. Um, the lion didn't eat him, though. But this is part of the prophecy that he... No, it's not. What did I do? It talks about it in... Uh... Verse 2. That's, yeah, somehow, for some reason, I wrote down 13. Go ahead. You want to read that, Daryl? Verse 2. Uh, then he cried out against the altar of, by the word of the Lord and said, For altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Joshua, Josiah, by name, shall be born to the house of David is on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high priests and burnt incense on you, and men's bones should be burned on you. So, way back then, generations, many generations, um, he prophesied that a son or child would be born who would become king, and that would get would would restore Jerusalem, restore the temple back to the original, and his name would be Josiah. What a great way to end. Josiah becomes king in verse 24. There we go. I have a question. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Chapter 19, verse 
Sennacherib. Yep. First. Sennacherib. His sons, the two sons, killed their father. Yes. And after that, his son, who's his son? Sennacherib. So it'll be like a third son. So it's. So it's actually three sons? There was three sons. Two. Mm-hmm. Yep, two of them killed him, and the other, the third one became king. Because I, I thought, um, the way it was in the, when I read it, they said, his son, well, who's his son? The son's son's son? Or no, the, the king's son. The king, okay, so it was 